Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. And, of course, you have magnificently with... I'm curious, did your parents always make great financial decisions when they were buying those houses and, you know, accumulating the, those uh, rental properties? Or did you live through some tough times or some reversals there too? Because the real estate market, you know, is always, is always a crapshoot, you know, you, the, the, well, the we ground, had some, we had some change tough, all the time, you know, so. Yeah, we had some tough times. My, I have a sister four years older. And she went to a private college in Georgia. It was very expensive. So I remember my parents concerned about, you know, with some weeks we had vegetable dinners all week because you know they were concerned. But my fat, my father was a just a brilliant money manager, and we had multiple rental properties. He owned uh, orange groves. He always believed in cash flow. We would sit at the dinner table and talk about assets, cash flow, appreciation. Really? And, really? and some of his um, orange groves are, are now where SeaWorld is, right? So wow. he, you know, he was um, a man before his time. And, you know, he was not at all, he was, he didn't want to build an empire. He just wanted to build a foundation for his family. And um, he, he, he did, you know, he bought a piece of property that was the last undeveloped part of Winter Park, Florida, if you're at all wow. familiar Florida. Oh, yeah. And so when when they when he passed, we had this 30 acre piece right in the middle of the you know largest, uh, most desirable area in central Florida. And that, you know, he was he was always worried, uh, not worried about, but he was always looking to leave a legacy for my sister and I. So well, pretty good decision. So how do you how did you get into, I didn't even know there was a co-author of uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> so how did you get involved in that project? And, you know, the the tsunami of success that came from that, you really struck a nerve that made sense to a lot of people and still does. And is a topic of conversation still all over the country. And so Talk about how you got in that. Did it look like a gold mine or it looked like a big hit right from the beginning? Well, let me, yeah, let me back up one second because you mentioned the Talking Children's book. That company was first. That was my first global oh, it brand. Was. Okay. And I met the inventor of the first Talking Children's book. So the books that have the sound strips down the side. And at that time, our kids were were up to the point where they they didn't really like to read that much. Their friends didn't like to read. And they had nothing electronic. They had no screen time. So we said, how can we get parents to trust us? And that's why we did deals with little companies like Disney, Warner Brothers, Sesame Street, Marvel Comics, and allowed us to explode that around the world. We, you know, we thought we were hot stuff. A million in sales the first year, then went to nine to 23 to 52 million totally self-funded. And so we had a tremendous. So how did you do that? I mean, how do you, you show up and okay, we want to get in. And all of a sudden you're, you're dealing with, with Disney and Time Warner. How, 
how did you, I mean, connections, the people you've done that uh, had the network. Yeah, and, and very, very strong licensing agreements with them that allowed us to have that kind of brand association and that validity because parents trusted Disney. They trusted right. Sesame Street. So therefore, they would be more likely to purchase the books than if it was an off-brand not knowing what it was. So that that alliance, yeah, we paid big fees to Disney, Sesame Street, Warner Brothers, but it was well worth it because it allowed us to expand globally. And then in that process, the expansion of understanding how the resources of where to get things made and to be able to bring them in from China or bring them in locally, compile them locally. To how, bring much of that did you have, how much of that did you have, information did you have when you made that first contact with Disney and was this all kind of, you know, uh, spinning the, the idea to them and see if they buy in or how much of that did you have nailed down? Well, the, the inventor was well known in the music industry. He had a long history in one of the biggest companies in sheet music. And then he had this idea for the talking children's book and yeah. He may, he actually is the one who made the original contact with Disney, but it was a long time. It took us a long time to negotiate that deal. And because we started at the top, right? And right. Disney's yeah. lawyers. So, and my husband is the one who negotiated the licensing arrangements with all those because it is intellectual property. It's very important that you protect it. And they had very stringent quality control. The voices had to be approved by them. And some, you know, yeah. at that time, they were little tiny chips, first time ever that they'd condensed sound on these little tiny chips. So it was a really exciting time to see as we progressed um, and, and got these deals done. But it took a long time. And um, what's a long time? What's a long time? Well, it took us probably six months for the first chip to get approved, and then after each one after that was about the same because they it had to go through their huge corporate environment to get yeah, the approval. Right the sounds and then of course we had to have the the strips made and manufactured and brought over so you know it was there was a about a nine month almost nine month manufacturing cycle yeah but actually in dealing with big corporation that seems like lightning fast actually because <laughs> usually usually, usually to get uh, permission to turn the light bulb on or the you know in the hallway is 18 months, you know, we've got to set a policy, who's going to flip the switch, you know, who's going to train them. And so uh, actually, it sounds pretty fast. Now, what were you doing while this was going on? Well, we were actually, you know, when you talk about length of time, because we weren't going from the bottom up, we were at the top. So we were the top of the company to the top of the company with their lawyers and quality control people. So I think that's what uh, allowed us to speed that up. And well, we were in the in the development phase. I was um, looking for ways for us to build our ability to grow more quickly through self-funding. Um, instead of having to do letters of credit up front, we were able to get some established relationships with our manufacturing partners. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into these little things. You know, it was, it was uh, all the individual pieces and having to get the molds made for the sound strips, all that. So, and that knowledge of the manufacturing system cycles and resources allowed me to step in to the Rich Dad organization. So if I, then now I'll transfer, you know, transition to Rich Dad. So this was, um, we What's sold. Rich? Okay, okay. 
I got yeah, you. we sold the Talking Book Company um, in 1991, and that's when we moved to Arizona because that was when we lived in, in this was in Wisconsin. And in 92, my oldest son went off to college and came home in credit card debt. So his first semester, he had a really good time. He got there and they greeted him with table, free pizza, free money, another table, free T-shirt, free money. And uh, we didn't even know he had a credit card. So yeah. he had a really good time his first semester. And then he asked us to bail him out at Christmas. And that was December of 1992, Larry. And that's when I dedicated the rest of my career to financial education and um, and entrepreneurship education for young people, for women, and personal finance education. And I'm as passionate about it today as I was back then. But that really was when I really knew what the rest of my life, what my mission was. And that was in December of 92. I started working with school systems. I always say, if you, you know, my hair used to be red, but if you work with school systems, you know why it's white now. And then accelerate a few years. I got a phone call from my husband in 96, 1996. And uh, he, Robert Kiyosaki had gone to his office with Bermuda shorts, flip-flops, and this idea for board game. So I met Robert at the first beta test for the board game Cashflow. I was the only one that got out of the rat race. I thought it was brilliant. Um, I volunteered to help him commercialize it because all of the resources I had, the connections. And um, he and I started working together just as a volunteer helping him. And he told me he wanted to charge $200 for the board game. And I said, that's pretty pricey. We're talking 1996, board game, $200 said, well, maybe you ought to um, write a brochure that explains yeah. the philosophy uh -huh. that would convince people that they want to invest $200. And that brochure, that's when he asked me to become his partner. Ah. And we were partners for 10 years, built the company. I was the CEO. I put it all together. And uh, we wrote that brochure called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So we never expected it to take on a life of its own. But it just exploded. Then we thought, well, maybe... We'll do three books, a trilogy, Rich Dad, Poor yeah. Dad, Cashflow Quadrant, Rich Dad's Guide to Investing. And then, oh no, over 10 years, we wrote 15 books together. And wow. then I launched the Rich Dad Advisor Series, which are books in individual topic areas by the experts in those areas as well. And we exploded around the world, 110 countries, over 50 languages. So. Wow. What is the, uh, that's like in moving into the category of biggest uh, sales of all time uh, for any any book, pretty much, uh, up in that category, at least to be considered uh, up in that category. Yeah, it's, a, it's the largest personal finance brand in the world. We sold 35 million books. Um, it, it was on the, Rich Dad Poor Dad was on the New York Times bestseller list for over seven years. So. Yeah, very interesting. Mm -hmm. And so when you met uh, Robert Kiyosaki, he was uh, not in his suit and tie and uh, Wall No, he actually lived in a two-bedroom condo, had two small apartment complexes. His passive income was $100,000 a year, and his living expenses were like $35,000, $36,000. But that was the message I wanted the world to hear. He was financially free at $100,000 worth of income. Yeah. And, you know, the, the you're financially free. When the income from your assets exceed your monthly expenses. And that was the message I wanted the world to hear. The importance of buying, building, and creating assets. 
And as you expanded that, I noticed that, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad for Women, you've got one of the titles in there. What would you say, you know, the message is pretty clear. What was the uh, impetus behind like, okay, we need to write a book on this as well, you know, expanding it. How did you get into the expanding the series? Well, typically we created the first trilogy, which was really the Rich Dad Poor Dad, the basic parable. And then we had Cashflow Quadrant, the way you think about money mindset, and then Rich Dad's Guide to Investing, thinking that we covered all the bases. But then we had people coming to us wanting more and more. And so we just started pretty much a book a year, almost every nine months on various topics. And, um, you know, it was retire young, retire rich, Um, you know, don't don't quit your day job. You know, there's things before you quit your job. There's lots of different topics that we covered um, that added to the arsenal and to the library of the Rich Dead organization. How does this thing expand to where you're in all, uh, you know, that many countries? Does that, is that a natural progression? I mean, the you you know, you get people calling you or what? Yes. How does yeah. that well, we were very fortunate early on when we actually first launched the book. We only printed a thousand copies. We had a friend in Austin, Texas that had a car wash. We sent a few books there. They would only take on consignment. And somebody picked up the book and read it. And he was a diamond in Amway. And he sent it to Dexter Yeager, who was one of the top dogs in Amway. Yeah. And I still remember him calling me and saying, you know, I, I read this book and I'm going, you did? Because we really had just done the launch and probably uh-huh. we printed a thousand. I still had 950. You know, it was like we were just family and friends. And it's like, where did you get this? And, um, you know, it was amazing. And he said, yeah, I gave it to um, Dexter. And how many do you still have? I said, about 950. And he said, I'll buy them all. And wow. so... This was before Amazon, hard to believe. It was before the internet, hard yeah. to believe. And so the expansion of the Rich Dad organization was word of mouth, people talking about it all over the world. And we became the darling of the network marketing industry. It was never our intention, but it was yeah. because our message validated that industry. Right. And so that helped us also expand internationally. And the beauty of what I teach people Larry, is the power of association, CEO to CEO. And when we needed to do infomercials, I didn't want to build all those systems. So we, time life came to us. And I said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it with number one quality. And so they used their money, their people, their resources, and helped us develop um, infomercials that were the top selling infomercial for a couple of years. When we wanted to start Rich Dad's Coaching, I found the best coaching company company that had the systems. And so I went there and worked with them to establish Rich Dad Coaching so that it would be answered the phone, Rich Dad, Co- you know, Rich Dad Coaching. And the people that were doing the coaching were trained by us and we had the ability to have quality control. And so it's, again, the way we expand is through the power of association, finding the best in class and by doing that, it's, it elevates your speed to market, your ability to serve more people more quickly. Thanks for listening to the Million Dollar Mastermind. 
If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealanwinning.com. Thanks for listening.